Hello and welcome to this Life Changes podcast. You are now listening to one of our Sunday messages. If you'd like to know more about Life Changes, you can visit us on Facebook, Twitter or Instagram. Now lean in and enjoy. Well, good morning. It is uh, a real privilege to be here. Um, I love this church. Um, got to, to know and love Mark and the team and every time I'm in Cape Town, this is my favorite place to be on a Sunday. So it is a real privilege to be able to um, preach this morning. Uh, I'm going to be preaching from the book of Galatians, uh, seeing as though that's where you guys are at. So I am going to be, um, I don't know where you are in the book of Galatians, but I'm, I'm going to go right to the first few verses of chapter 1. So um, if you can turn with me in your Bibles to Galatians chapter 1. All right, you're all ready. So it says this, Paul, an apostle, sent not from men, nor by a man, but, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers and sisters with me, to the churches in Galatia, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. That's all I'm going to read. And what I want to focus on today is really just the first three words, Paul, an apostle. Now you might think, well, what do we get out of that? Theologians of old, they would write chapters on just the word Paul. Because that's how he started most of his letters. He would say, I, Paul, or Paul. But we've got to realize there's something incredibly significant about the fact that Paul's name was Paul, because Paul wasn't always Paul. Paul was Saul. And, and Saul had an encounter with God, and as a result of that encounter with God, he became Paul. So the fact that it's Paul, it's huge. It really is huge. We, we're talking about a miraculous, divine work of God that brings someone's life to a place where it gets turned around 180 degrees and he becomes a different person altogether. Because he was Saul, persecutor of the church, and he became Paul, builder of the church. Saul, killing Christians, murdering Christians. To Paul, leading Christians. Showing them something of the gospel. I mean... The fact that it's Paul is profound. It really is profound. Paul, this is a miraculous work of God. And it's deep. It's a a profound work. You know, God speaks about His work in our lives. When, When we come to a place of knowing Him, when we come to faith, when we come to realize who He is and we can believe Him, one of my favorite texts, and I'm sure you'll... You'll know it is in Ezekiel six uh, thirty six where it says, "This is God speaking. I will give you a new heart. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees." And be careful to keep my laws. So what takes place is that you get given a new heart when you have 
this God encounter, when you see Jesus for the first time and you realize your desperate need of him, that, that you are lost, that you are needing to be saved, that you can look to Jesus and put your faith in him. And when that happens, and it's all God's work, because he opens your eyes to that. He puts the faith there for you to be able to believe him. But it's all his work. And as that's going on, God puts his spirit in you. His spirit rests on you. He gives you a new heart. He takes away this old um, stony heart and he puts this fleshy, beautiful work of heaven into you. Paul, no longer saw. And it goes public. I do get concerned when people talk about their Christianity as a private matter. No, this is just between me and God. When God does that work in your heart, you don't really have a choice. It goes public. Because it's such a profound work in you, you get given a new heart. You've got a new nature. You've got a new destiny. Everything about you has changed. You can't keep that under wraps. Paul. And it's by grace. It's God's work. It's not done on our merit. It's done on the merit of another. So like what, what Paul did when he was Saul, that's not what God got God to like just meet him. It was, it was the work of Jesus. It's, it's, it's his work on the cross. It's his righteous life. It's all about him. And as a result of his merit, that he's accomplished, Saul can become Paul. Not because of what Saul did when Saul was Saul. And, and no one's deserving of it. But also, no one's excluded. No one's excluded. I mean, this guy, he was killing people. He, he was there while people were being stoned with, with his approval of what was going down. I mean, he was, he was persecuting the church. He was a real, he was like public enemy number one. Yeah. As far as Christian circles go. And the work of God. But he had an encounter with God. So there's nothing that, that you could do. There's nothing that you could do that will exclude you. Think about the thief on the cross. That criminal encounter with God. Lord Jesus, have mercy on me. Today you will be with me in paradise. Not, hey, maybe if you could get down here, get baptized, do a couple of charitable things, we could talk. It's today. While you hang here, you are in your dying moments because you're crying out to me because I've allowed you to see who I am and your eyes are open to who I am. In this moment, a God encounter, you become a new man. Even though you're in your last minutes, you become a new man. The other thing that happens with this God encounter, which takes a soul to a Paul, is that it's relational. It's not just an encounter. Like there was this moment in my life where I put my faith in Jesus and it changed all of who I am and it changed my destiny. But you come into a relationship with God himself. Relationship. You, you, you get to call God Father. You get to call him our father, my father, 
This is not, it's not your earthly dad we're talking about. This is the God who created everything, who created you. You get to call him Father. You get to be in a relationship with him. In Galatians 4, it speaks about God sending his son to redeem us that we might receive adoption to sonship. I don't know if we get adoption. We had the privilege of adopting a little girl. Her name is Rosie. And by virtue of the questions and the comments and and the interactions that we have with people, and these are people in church, these are are people that understand or, or, or know about the fact that we get adopted into God's family. But by virtue of what gets said, and I'm even including myself in it, so, but I don't know if we fully get what adoption is. So if Antoinette and I are just with Rosie and our boys aren't with, we'll get questions like, oh, so like, do you have children of your own? Now, I know what they mean, but, but you see that like within that comment, there's something there like, you've adopted her, but do you have your own kids? And I want to say, but she, she is my child. She is a child of my own. Why are you living there? Because a new birth has taken place. She's born into our family. She's my child. Another question will be, have you met her real mother? To which I say, yes, I'm married to her. I know her very well. So it's, it's always with good intent. I mean, it's not like I'm, you know what I mean? But it's like just that question, when it comes at you, it's like, you still see her as belonging to someone else? Like, she's got another mother? No, no, no. She's got a new mother. This is her real mom. Rosie's my child. The clanger, the, the one that I love the most, is where people would say, hey, like the thing that you guys have done here and what you're doing, Rosie, that's an amazing thing. Eh? <laughs> so like it's meant as a compliment, and I get that. But I feel like saying, if you're talking about all three of my kids and how I parent them, which I don't necessarily think I do that great a job, but if you're complimenting on that, if you're saying that that's the amazing thing, well, then I can kind of half entertain what you're saying. But if you're looking at my daughter as though she is some kind of charitable project, like a person that I'm trying to give a better future to, like, like open new opportunities and like give her a home and... Hold on a second, she's my child. She's not a project. She's not a, an initiative. She's not a charitable gesture. She's my child. She's my child. We've adopted her into our family. She has all the privileges that Mark and John has. She shares in all of what our family has. She's our child. You know the government gets it right? When we got the the paperwork from from the government, the judge's declaration, it, it read something like this. Rosie and Porfu is now legally your daughter as born unto you. They get it right. As born unto you. She's your child. 
she gets to live out this new relationship in our home with all the protection, with all the provision, with all the love, with all the sitting on dad's lap. It's now lived out in relationship. And that's God's declaration over us. I've made you a son. I've made you a daughter. You are mine. I've adopted you into my family. Not as a project, not as a charitable notion, because I want you to be mine. You're my child. You're my son. You're my daughter. You know when Jesus got baptized and he came out of the water? The voice from heaven... This is my son, whom I love. In him I am well pleased. You know, when you come into that God encounter, when when you put your faith in Jesus, you are in him. He is in you. And all of what applies to Jesus applies to you. So the Father's declaration is not just over Jesus. It's over you. You are my son, whom I love. In you I'm well pleased. What a declaration. You're mine. You're my child. Made you mine. The other thing that happens is you get naming rights. So as a parent, you get naming rights. You don't just get a a, a new heart. You don't just get new nature with new destiny. You get given a new name. So, I mean, God is, he's constantly doing that. Throughout the Bible, I I love the way he renames people. Saul, no longer Saul, Paul. Rosie and Porfu, Rosie Quinlivan. You get a new name. Simon becomes Peter. Abraham becomes, sorry, Abram becomes Abraham. Sarai, Sarah. When David and Bathsheba had their their son, Solomon. They called him Solomon, right? Have you ever read the, that passage of Scripture where they name him Solomon? Let's go read it. God sends Nathan the prophet saying, that's fine, you can call him Solomon. That's your name for him. But my name for him, I've got a different name for him. Yeah. It's Jedediah, beloved of the Lord. Yeah. So it's like there's a heavenly name that's hovering over us. We don't even know what it is. But we have a name. In all likelihood, it's different to the name that you have now. Jedediah, beloved of the Lord. In Revelation 2, verse 17, it says this, I will give that person, speaking about those who are living on the victorious one, living on Jesus, I will give that person a white stone with a new name written on it. How cool is that? Because court, in those days, what would happen is you'd have a white stone and a black stone. White stone would be for um, a not guilty call. So you, you would go through the court proceedings and at the end, if you got a white stone, it meant you're not guilty. If you got a black stone, the charge is guilty. Guilty as charged, condemned. Penalty ensued. God says, to the one who puts his faith in Jesus, I will give a white stone. You're acquitted but I'll also give you a new name. You're acquainted. You're mine. I have done everything that needs to be done in order for you to be set free, to be cleared of all charges. You stand uncondemned, not guilty, and I put my name on you. I have a name for you. 
How beautiful is that? Paul. And then we get to what follows, an apostle, and what we're going to realize is we do have a purpose. We do have a calling, a God calling that he gives us. There is something for us to do. We don't just get saved from something, we get saved for something. Not not just saved out of, saved into. I mean, we read in Ephesians 2 about the fact that we are saved by grace, not by works. Saved by grace, through faith. We don't have to do anything for it, not by works. But the very next line says that God has prepared works for us to do. You kind of feel like, is there a contradiction there? What's going down? But, But it's basically saying, you don't get saved by doing anything. But now that you are saved, you live out that salvation in a way where you don't have to earn your salvation. You just get to live it out. And, and God's prepared these things for us. And for Paul, it was an apostle. So a new heart, a new nature, new destiny, new name, but new purpose. Because now you've got reason to wake up in the morning. As opposed to, like, what is this life really about? And I think sometimes we make God's will this mysterious thing. It, it's kind of like, as Christians, we feel like the number one goal of a Christian is to find out God's will for my life. Yeah. Have you heard people speak like that? Can I just say, there is God's um, kind of specific things to individuals, but 99% of it is already in God's word in terms of his will for our lives. So we're saved, we, 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 we come into this relationship with a Heavenly Father, we put our faith in Jesus through this incredible God encounter that's orchestrated by Him, and as a result of that, we get to be in relationship, which means talking to God, and He talks to us. So, like, do you have to pray about whether you read the Word or not? No, that's, that's God speaking to us. So we, we're in relationship. We, it's just obvious. So, so be in the Word. Hear what God has to say. Pray. Speak back to Him. Because you're in a relationship. You don't need to read anything or find anything out or kind of see anything on a billboard to know that that's what you should do. And if you read God's Word, it's clear. Be in a church. That's His design. It's like, be a part of a community. That's how things work. That's how I've designed things. Which church you join, that's maybe something you can pray about. But to be a part of a church, that's obvious. To be a good husband, to be a good wife, to be a good parent, and to, and to lead your family. I mean, we don't have to be finding things out. And, and, I mean, we haven't even got to Matthew 28. It's like he's given us that commission. He's saying, what I've done for you, live your life out in such a way that you can lead people to the same thing. Get a job. Which job? Pray about it, but just get a job. And, and you're in a space where you can live out this incredible salvation through the encounter that you've had with me. But we don't have to be asking many questions around that. It's not, it's not that mysterious. It's just live whatever God has put before you. For Paul, it was an apostle. An apostle. But for you, what, what is it? It's not, it's not that difficult. It's not that hard. Whatever you're doing right now, that's the thing. <laughs> just live it out. And it's by God's will. You know, it said, not sent from man, 
or from men, nor by a man. It's not man sent. It's not man commissioned, which includes you. This is not my agenda that I'm trying to live out. It's God's agenda. What does He have for me? What's His will? And you know what? That, that is a real game changer for me. Because what it does for me is it puts a robustness in me when I realize that. Because I know it's His thing. It's not my thing. It's His thing. He's holding this together. But it also puts a humility there. Because, again... It's not me doing these things. It's His work. We get to live out what God has put in us, but we leave all the responsibility of the outcomes up to Him. So we're sowing seed and we're living and loving and people, but God is changing people. He is the one, like we read in Ezekiel 36, that does the work inside. The responsibility is His. That brings humility for me because it's not about me trying to mechanically kind of get someone to a place. I just do what God's asked me to do. And Paul just did what God asked him to do. An apostle. Here's the thing that I want to hone in on for today. And what I'm hoping will be helpful for you. Is the the very insignificant part of that phrase is the comma between Paul and an apostle. Paul, pause, an apostle. We've got to put the comma into our lives. I I had a a meeting with a couple of guys up in Pretoria, just some elders around the table, and we had a friend of ours that came in and was just kind of imparting some things and incredibly helpful. And as he was reading, he read, I think it was from Colossians, but it's a similar line, Paul and Apostle. And as he read it, he stopped and he just looked at us and said, always make sure there's a comma between who you are in Christ and what you do for him. And then he carried on. But that phrase just stuck with me. It just, What? You mean we, we sometimes fudge those two things together? Absolutely. In fact, that's what we do naturally. Because we find our identity in what we do. What comes after the comma doesn't define who we are. It's what, what's before the comma. Paul. Paul, who was Saul, he's now a new man. Pause, comma, an apostle of Christ Jesus. See, Paul was defined by grace. It's all he knew. That's why I wrote in 1 Corinthians um, 15, by the grace of God, it's by the grace of God that I am who I am. Not by anything else. I don't find who I am by virtue of what I do. I do have something to do. But it's not what defines me. What defines me is God's grace. It's the encounter that I had with him. It's all of what he did in order for me to come into this relationship. That's what defines me. And Paul was big on this because every letter that he writes, I mean, it's, go and read it. He always starts with grace to you. I read it earlier. Have you noticed his letters? Grace to you. And then what does he write at the end? Grace with you. So he's kind of saying, this is how you start, but this is how you continue to live. So whatever you've received, that's what you now dispense. 
That's what you give out as you live your life. Grace to you, grace with you. But don't, don't start with grace to you and then take on a whole bunch of other things because that's unhelpful. Let grace still be grace. Let that be the thing that defines you. Let that be the thing that you give out. Otherwise, you're giving other things to people. People don't need that. Life is hard enough. It's like, let's just put a whole bunch of things on people. No, let grace go with you. And let, let, let that be what just oozes out of you as you live your life. So Paul knew he had a relationship, comma, but he also had a role. But he kept, he kept the two separate. He was a friend of God before he, he had a function from God. He separated the two. Paul, pause, and apostle. Got to get the pause. Got to have the comma. I quoted the account of Jesus getting baptized. You know, after the Father says, speaking directly to Jesus, you are my son, whom I love, and you I'm well pleased. You know what the very next line is? The very next line in Luke 3. It says, Jesus was 30 years old when he started his ministry. So that declaration happened before Jesus did anything. He hadn't started his ministry and that declaration. So that whole thing of like, is God pleased with me? It doesn't come by what you do. It comes by who you are in Christ. We've we got to get like, separate the two. Got to separate the two. Got to bring in the pause. You're a son before you're a servant. You're a son. Yes, we get to serve God. It's a glorious thing. It's a beautiful thing. But we're a son before we're a servant. I, I mean, I want to live my life with the faith of a son. Yeah. I don't want to live my life with the faith of a servant. And I'm telling you now, as Christians, we get this wrong all the time because we live with the faith of a servant. And it's all about what's after the comma. That's what defines me. You know, postmodern thinking, it, it, it's, it's kind of like it says to us, you define who you are. You create your own identity. It's in your hands. You, you make the call. You shape that thing. You make it a reality. That's what postmodern thinking throws at us. But you know what the gospel says? You don't need to build your own identity. That's been done for you. It's, it's, it's given to you. You don't have to work on your identity. And we've we got to make sure that, that the comma is there. Because if we take the comma out, I mean, did you notice that like, Paul never wrote the great apostle Paul? He could have, because he was an apostle, and he was great at what he did. He was a brilliant apostle. But he never wrote the great apostle Paul. It was always Paul, comma, and apostle, separating the two. So are you the incredible worship leader, Lee, or are you Lee, son of God, loved by God, full of God's delight, and the Father's favor, comma, who happens to be given a gift that can usher people into God's worship? Separate the two. See, this is about validation. We all need validation. We all need to know, because that's how you get identity. It's like you know that you as a person 
like you carry value. But do you realize that you can't self-validate? You can't validate yourself. Unless you're Donald Trump. (laughs) I'm fantastic. Yeah. You can't validate yourself. So if your identity is wrapped up in what you do, you've got to realize that you're waiting for other people to validate you. Yeah, yeah, whatever. Social media. Every time you do something, it's like, can I just get a... Hmm? Hashtag. Brilliant. You see how that's wired in us? It's wired in us, right? So we want validation. That's what we're desperate for. But you can get validation from others by virtue of what you do, or you can get validation from the Father who says, you're a son, you're my son, and I love you. I'm pleased with you before you've done anything. That's the relationship that we have. My son, John, middle child, he... um, he was embarking on his first athletics day and the day, the day before he started thinking about what was going to happen the next day. He's going to run sprints. That's what he signed up for. And the thought of winning just kind of brought this atmosphere in the home. It's like, oh, it's going to be brilliant. But I can, I can, I'm in the kitchen, I'm making breakfast. I can hear him in the lounge and he's literally voicing like all his thoughts and, and then he started thinking, but what if I don't come first? What if I come second? Eh, third, fourth. Hmm. What if I come last? <laughs> the shame, the embarrassment. And he, I mean, the drama, just like... <laughs> so I called him to the kitchen. I said, John, listen to me. If, if my body represents how much I can love you, so all of me, from, from my toes to my head, if that represents how much I can love you, how much do I love you? How much do you think? If if Anywhere between my head and my toes, how much of me? So he got up onto the chair, picked my arm up, and stretched it into the, the sky like this. He said, that's how much. I said, absolutely. That's how much I love you. But let me ask you this. If you win this race tomorrow, how much do I love you then? He grabbed my hand again, stretched it to the sky. I said, you're absolutely right. But now let me ask you this. If you come last in that race tomorrow, how much would I love you then? He grabbed my hand again, stretched it to the sky. I said, you're absolutely right, my boy. Don't you ever forget it. Because that will never change. And he walked out of that kitchen chest out, head up, just ready for it. You know why? Because he was validated by his father. We need to be validated by our father. We can't be validated by where we come in the race. Yes, we're in a race. But we don't find our validation in that. We find our validation from the voice of a father who declares over us, you're my son, you're my daughter, irrespective of what you do, how you do because it's based not on your merit. It's based on the merit of another. You're perfect in my eyes. The other thing about taking the comma out is that we're so focused on what we're doing 
we've got to realize that that thing changes. It's not like, that's not consistent. Because you could have a worship set where, I mean, you could be throwing lemons out at people. Ellie? And then you get off the stage, it's like, oh man, that was so bad. And the awkwardness of like, no one's saying anything. Yeah? I mean, we've all had those moments, maybe not on stage, but you know what I mean? It's like, oh, I'm not hearing anything and I know that wasn't good. But you know that the relationship with our Father is rock solid. It doesn't change. Mocky, come stand here, boy. This Mocky, not that Mocky. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, so this is this is my boy. He's now fourteen. There, there was a there was a day fourteen years ago that he was born, and he was this little baby, and all he was capable of was pooping. <laughs> He'd make poops the whole day. And we would change nappies, and we would have to feed him, and he would wake us up at night, and he was completely dependent on us. It was horrible. <laughs> but, but can I ask you, as a little newborn baby, what's the relationship between him and me? Father, son. Yeah? Okay. So 14 years later, he's now grown, he's developed, he's become way more independent and, and, and he can do things. He is an amazing young man. What's the relationship today? Father, son. Am I more his father today than I was then? Is he more my son today than he was? No. And I mean, I would have aspirations of him growing up into this incredible man of God and, and, and having a family and being a good husband and a, and, and a good father to his kids and, and be, be good at what he does. But when that happens, would I be more his father then than I am now? It's rock solid. It doesn't change. Thanks, boy. You did well. <laughs> Validation from my father. See, that thing doesn't change. It's consistent. It's, it's the same. And it's rock solid. It's a relationship that's been established. And nothing that we can do is going to mess with that. So, yeah, we have moments where we may be not like in the best place because, you know, I've disappointed him or he's maybe done something that's disappointed me. And, but do you understand that's the difference between fellowship and relationship? Like sometimes we just don't feel like we're in a good place with God and like we're not 100% sure of things and we have doubts. So like we can have those moments. But through all of that, Father, Son, Father, Son, Father, Son, it doesn't change. It's rock solid. But when we, when we take the comma out and it's all about this relationship, is about how I'm doing in my relationship with the Father. And if I'm not doing well, then I kind of feel, ah, I've got to put the comma back in. Separate the two. I love that. Behold, comma, be bold. Maybe that's the reminder. Behold who God is. Behold Jesus. Behold what he's done. And that he, he brings us into this God encounter where he takes us from Saul's and he makes us Paul's. Behold that. Just behold that. And then as a result of that, be bold in how you live. Put the comma back in. Without the comma, we're on the risk of 
becoming arrogant. Because then what we do, if we think we're doing it well, arrogance, right? Self-righteousness. If we don't do well, despair. Not a great place to be. When we put the comma back in and we get validation from the Father, you can never lose. You're guaranteed. You're guaranteed you're going to win. You know God's hand in this? Is that sometimes He interrupts us. When we live our lives and, and we've smudged those two things and we don't have a separation, He interrupts us. You ever feel like you've been T-boned? Don't always blame the devil. Don't, don't give him more credit than what he's due. Sometimes God actually interrupts us. He says, hey, my boy, you're mixing these two things. Or he can delay things. Yeah. Like, I've got this promise of God, and I want to do this and do that, and I want to live out this calling. And, and he's like, mm, no, 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 not, you're not ready. I'm going to delay it, I'm going to delay it, I'm going to delay it, because I'm, I'm trying to make sure that this relationship is right before you get yourself into trouble. We need to find validation from the Father. And we find that in a place of devotion. That's why prayer is so important. John Piper says, you've got to preach the gospel to yourself every single day. That's why, because you separate the two. This is what Jesus has done. This is who I am in him. Preach the gospel to yourself every single day. Dallas Willard was asked, what do, you, what do you do devotionally? Like kind of how do you approach it? I mean, he's like one of the, or was one of the guys on spiritual disciplines. He says, well, I take the prayer that Jesus gave us, which starts our Father, and I pray that our Father, but then I'll wait there. And I just let that soak in. Our Father. You're my father. You've saved me. You've brought me to a place where I can know you as father. You're my father. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for my salvation. Our father. It's like we go straight to give us this day our daily bread. <laughs> That's if we pray the Lord's Prayer, which Jesus did give us the Lord's Prayer to pray daily. That's why it says give us this day our daily bread. Just a clue there. That's a daily thing. But, just to start, I mean, I sometimes find myself praying just our Father. 20 minutes later, I get up and uh, I've just wept. Fuck, Lord. You're my Father. You've made me your son. There is nothing that I can do that will ever make you love me more. Nothing I can do that will make you love me less. This is the relationship that you've established. I'm validated by you. Comma. Now what would you have me do, Lord? But we've got to get the pause in there. We've got to separate those two. We do it in a place of devotion. So I trust you're encouraged. I trust it's been helpful. Thank you for the opportunity. Thanks, Mark.